0: It is a big day on the pandemic front with a key news conference coming up this afternoon with Dr. Bonnie Henry. All eyes on those public health orders she made last month, shutting down gyms, fitness centers, bars, nightclubs, dance studios. Those orders were set to expire today. Now let's go back to last month. Here is Bonnie Henry making the order last month. Have a listen.
1: Gyms, fitness centres and dance studios will also be closed uh, for this period of time. We know as well that these, unfortunately, have been um, places where transmission events
0: have happened
1: and have spread out to people in the community.
0: Okay, Bonnie Henry, shutting down gyms and fitness centres. That order was set to expire today. Will it be extended? It looks like it already has online. Still holding out hope, though, from people in the industry that they'll be allowed to open their doors again. Bonnie Henry was asked on Friday, will you extend that order shutting gyms down? Here's what she said.
1: And I'll have more to say about
0: that on Tuesday.
1: Those are ongoing discussions, and I'll have more to say about this next week. I'm going to defer the the Tuesday question to Tuesday.
0: Okay, that's coming up this afternoon. Let's talk about the impact on the fitness industry now with those shutdown orders still in place here in british columbia got on the line joe caldo joe is the owner of anytime fitness in north burnaby hey joe
2: hey mike how you doing
0: i'm good thanks a lot for doing this also on the line is sarah hodson sarah is the president of the fitness industry council of canada hi sarah good morning Hi. thanks to both of you for being here joe let me go to you first uh you're, you're shut down right i am yep yeah were you hoping like what was your hope today that you'd be able to open up again today
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: What What's the impact been on on yourself, your business, your your employees, and your customers?
2: Well, I mean, laying laying off our staff four days before Christmas, I had to witness a single mother, um, you know, ball in front of my eyes because she had just bought a new condo in December. So we're dealing with things like that. We've got so many of our members that i've met over the years that rely on the gyms to be an outlet for depression, addiction, anxiety and when when you take that away i mean that that's their mechanism for fighting these things and so um you know there's a there's a high likelihood that they'll go back to those things so th- those are kind of things that we
3: we see
0: okay it was kind of weird the way this unfolded yesterday because there was a lot of anticipation about what would happen today whether the order, the shutdown order, would be extended, and then it looks like it was quietly extended indefinitely, with some changes to the health order online. Did you hear about that yesterday? What went through your mind when you heard that?
2: I did hear about it um, personally. I I know that uh, we need fitness, and I know that they're not going to close fitness indefinitely. I think I believe that it's a clerical error in that originally those were to expire a day prior and that that expire was going to come before Bonnie's announcement and so I think when they realized that they had to extend it by a day and so when they make the announcement today my prediction is that fitness will be reopening I just don't right. know in in what way form
0: okay so you're holding out hope that's what you'll hear from Bonnie Henry this afternoon that you're allowed to open your doors again
2: yes yeah, so that's what I'm hoping for
0: oh, okay all right what do you think about the fact that you just we just heard that clip when she was speaking last month when she shut you down and she said the reason we're doing this is because we've had lots of examples of transmission of the virus in gyms in fitness centers what are your thoughts on that
2: well i i don't think it's true and i would like them to back that up and the reason i say that is um we all track gym member check-ins that's just a metric that all gym owners track and so for my two clubs for instance we've had three uh, a little over 365,000 check-ins during the course of the pandemic and we have not had a single transmission occur in in our gyms. I also ran a survey uh, with about 25 other anytime fitnesses back when Delta was peaking and there were sort of concerns that we would be shut down again And just with Anytime Fitness Gyms, so this was about 25 locations, there were a little under a million check-ins. I think it was around 985,000 check-ins and three transmissions. So that transmission rate is much closer to 0% than it is to 1%. Have transmissions happened in other clubs? Sure. But again, they need to when when they're saying these things, they need to have the data of the total amount of check ins that occurred during the province during that two year period in order for to, to look at the data correctly.
0: Joe, thanks for coming on with your thoughts on it today. We'll see what's announced this afternoon. Appreciate it. You bet, Mike. All right. Joe Caldo there. He's the owner of Anytime Fitness in North Burnaby. He also has an Anytime Fitness in the Clayton Heights neighborhood. Let's check in with Sarah Hodson, President, Fitness Industry Council of Canada. Sarah, you just heard Joe uh, express some hope that he'll be allowed to open up again this afternoon. Do you share his his hope there?
1: You know, I I think that that is is what we have left, right, is is hope. Um, I believe that we have um, presented a very strong case to um, to Dr. Henry and to public health as to why we believe that um, fitness should reopen in this province. Um, and yes, some of that is around how safe we believe that fitness has proven that we can be um, what we are already doing, which is we are doing everything that has been asked of us, uh, as well as We really need to, you know, switch the conversation to how important fitness is to our health and to the foundation of our healthcare. And um, even research that is coming out on a daily basis right now showing that it can improve the efficacy of of our booster shots if we are more active by up to 50%. This is powerful information that we need to have British Columbia moving and being active right now. This isn't something that we can wait for. And so we believe that we have put a really strong case um, in front of public health. We have had collaborative discussions um, over the last several weeks and more intensely in the last several days And I believe we've put everything on the table. I am confident in our industry. I am confident that we can keep British Columbians safe. And I know that the public is asking and ready to get back to their gyms.
0: Right. You heard Joe Caldo mention there the impact on his employees, the impact on his business, but, and also his customers. And he mentioned mm-hmm. the, the mental health of his customers that a lot of people are relying on their fitness regime to get through this pandemic. Can you comment a little bit about that, about the, the mental health impact on this and customers who are told like, you know, your, your spin class is canceled. You can't go work out.
1: Yeah. You know, and I, I think that that is a really, um, a really beautiful thing that has happened over this pandemic is that we have all individually transitioned our thinking from fitness, just being ripped biceps and, you know, six pack abs to really how does this impact us on a daily basis? Because in these times when we haven't had fitness, we have realized the impact that it has on our mental health. And when we look at the evidence, we know that even in as little as 10 minutes of movement, we are improving our mental health. We are reducing depression. We are relieving stress and anxiety. And so that is what has happened for all of us during the last two years is we have become much more aware of our physical health, but we have also been much more aware of our mental health and the impact, the positive impact that fitness has on that.
0: Okay, we will see what happens this afternoon. Sarah Hodson, thanks a lot for coming on today. Thanks, Mike. All right, welcome back to the show. Here we go now with paid sick days in British Columbia. This is now the law of the land in B.C., five paid sick days a year. If you are sick, don't go to work. Everyone can agree on that. Now, the government says the best way to prevent people from working sick is pay them to stay home when they are sick. Five paid sick days a year It will be paid by the employer. Now have a listen to this. This is BC Labor Minister Harry Baines making that announcement. Here's what he had to say. Employers do not want their employees to come to work sick. They have made this point loud and clear. Paid
4: sick leave is the best way to achieve this. So for the first time ever, we are creating permanent problems by paid sick leave starting January 1st, 2022. After an extensive consultation and with input from many voices, we have made a decision. All workers covered by Employment Standard Act will be entitled to a minimum of five days of employer-paid sick leave each year.
0: Okay, as the Labor Minister making that announcement, five paid sick days per year. What kind of impact does this have now? on small business let's discuss with my guest angelo koshaba he is with the regal grooming barbershop hey angelo good morning mike hey angelo thanks a lot for coming on can you tell me about your uh, regal grooming your uh, your barbershop where are you guys located we are downtown on hornby and hastings yeah okay i was checking out your website it looks like a pretty pretty nice place how long have you been operating down there Uh, In this location, Mike,
4: we've been for five years, uh, altogether seven.
0: Okay, congratulations to you on that. It looks like a really nice place you've got there. Uh, So let me ask you about about sick days and the impact that this has. Uh, Tell me your your thoughts on that. I mean, is this going to cost you a a lot of money?
4: Uh, Mike, it's not about the money, to be honest. Yes, money is a business. It's about the money, bottom line. But it's the timing of it. This couldn't have come at a worse time for us as a small business because as you know, uh, COVID really wobbled us in the barbershop industry and we are not making money. We are definitely without government subsidies, we would have lost a lot of money the last two years. And now they've added this cost on top of it when we are just barely getting from under COVID it's about the timing the timing of it was horrible the way they introduced it was terrible there is way better methods of introducing sick days i am 100 percent in favor of sick days but not the way that they have done it how many
0: how many employees do you have we have 15 employees okay 15 employees and have any of them been off sick uh yeah obviously i mean that's the thing um
4: i some people misunderstand what sick days are. They think it's like a, some kind of a, a present that the government has put on the shelf for them. They can, So, the, you know, people call and say, I'm not feeling uh, well. I will use my sick day. I mean, that's not what it's about. Okay, you use your sick day, but what if two months down the road, you are actually sick and you need more than five days? And then what do you do? Yeah, do you- uh, idea- yeah go ahead.
0: Yeah, the, this program is now in uh, the law of the land in British Columbia. Angelo, it kicked in at the start of the year, as you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. can you tell me, what do you think about the, uh, the communication from the government and how the program works? Like, I know you've got questions, you've got concerns about how it operates. Can you tell me about that? Like, what kind of the, sort of the information you've been getting from government about how you're supposed to do this? If I tell you I got zero, you
4: will probably not believe it. I did not have a single piece of information from the government. I got my information about the program, how it works from Canadian Federation of Independent Business. I went on their website and they looked it up. There was nothing from the government. They spent mil no, I shouldn't say million, but definitely thousands of dollars advertising six days because it's obviously an election promise for them that they fulfilled and they make, make them look good they didn't spend a penny on us like the businesses that are going to be paying for it it's not the government that's paying for it they're getting all the accolades but we are the ones paying for it at least tell us how how the damn thing works anyway
0: yeah do you think that you mentioned the timing that you've been through some really difficult times with covid you lost a lot of money last year as a result and now you feel like you're just getting back on your feet and now you have this uh, additional cost but you heard the labor minister say in that clip we played that, look, nobody wants people to come into work when they are sick and potentially make the entire staff sick as well, like stay home. And I'm sure you would agree with that. You don't want your employee coming in to work when they're sick and spreading it around. Right. So it doesn't. My, go ahead. As I may say, I am quarantining myself. As a business owner, my manager is quarantined
4: we we are working from home. I can't call in sick and get a sick day. I am trying to do my very best to make sure that my staff yesterday, if I hadn't processed payroll, my staff wouldn't have been able to pay for you know rent, groceries, so on and so forth. So it's not that i I am not encouraging anybody to go to work sick. yeah, what I am saying is the way the government has doing it. There are way, there are better, I'll give you an example, for example.
1: Yeah.
4: MSP was passed on to the businesses a few years ago, a couple of years ago, in the form of employer health tax. But the way they, they structure this, is far better because if you are a small business, if your payroll is less than half a million dollars, you don't have to pay the employer health tax. Once you go over half a million, then it's approximately 3%, a little under 3% on amounts over that it's a little more manageable for a small business you know because it's okay if i grow to that level i am okay to pay eht same thing this could have been done exactly the same way work it out in a way where we have a little bit of a break while we are growing and as we grow it, it's okay we can pay it okay because angela people are
0: so go ahead angela last question for you do you think that this program could be Abused by by some people, like maybe some people will say, "Okay, the government's telling me I can take five sick days a year, so maybe I'll just stay home even when I'm not sick and still get paid." Is that a concern for you?
4: Hundred percent, hundred percent. As you know, I mean, uh, there are some people. I don't know. I, I can't give you percentages, but there are some people that have this sense of entitlement, and things like this, they they jump on them right away, and I can tell you you know, during the snow days, why would anybody want to go to work? If you are living in Syria or, you know, in Westminster or just downtown, well, just call in sick. When summer hits and we have some beautiful days, how many people are going to say, oh, you know what, it's just too beautiful. I'm going to go to the beach. I mean, that's that's the nature of the beast. That's how we operate as human beings. Not everybody is going to be committed to going to work uh, when they think they have five, six days they could use. They haven't used them.
0: Angelo, thank you for sharing your thoughts on this issue today. I appreciate it a lot. My pleasure. Thank you, Mike. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk housing affordability in Metro Vancouver right now. Prices going through the roof once again. And even out in areas like the Fraser Valley, I guess, which used to be kind of semi-affordable zone, I mean, prices just going crazy there as well. Now I told you earlier on the show about the 11 million dollar tear down bungalow in the Canby corridor and if you follow me on Twitter, I posted the listing for this which has a lot of people talking in the real estate business. So I'm taking a look at it right now. So it's basically it's a four bedroom bungalow. Um it looks like it basically it's a tear down, sounds like 481 West 40th Avenue. 11 million 11 million dollars now why why is it that much well if you take a look at the listing it says there's an a possible land assembly opportunity so if if the buyer could buy two other adjacent properties and this one then you have a possibility to turn it into an apartment tower so you could build an apartment 13 plus stories that's why it's being offered for sale Eleven million dollars. If you take a look at the history of that property, it was offered for sale back in two thousand and fifteen for two point one million. It didn't didn't sell at that time. I guess that's a bargain now. If you take a look at it, now it's offered for eleven million. Now this is in the Canby corridor, and there's a lot of properties for sale like that. Very, very expensive because they're being upzoned and you could have a densification there. Okay, but you know, it just jumped out at me about how crazy the prices are. Let's check in with Mark Lee, senior economist now, Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives. Hey, Mark.
3: Hey, Mike. How you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for coming on. It's fun to look at some of these listings. I'm checking this one out, the $11 million bungalow. So it's kind of funny to look at the mortgage options there. So you put $2.2 million down, okay? So you borrow and then borrow $8.8 million in your mortgage, and your monthly mortgage payment would be $35,000. So that's how much it cost to build to yeah, buy this bungalow.
3: Maybe maybe you and I should go in on it together. Yeah.
0: Well. I'm, you know, I don't. Maybe someone will buy this thing, and if you buy the adjacent properties, then you can. It sounds like you have an opportunity to build an apartment tower. So, you know, look, this is big money, though, right? So, I mean, to me, it just stood out as an example of the property values in Metro Vancouver. Mark, this is something you've been following. It, you've been writing about. What, what is your analysis right now of this market in terms of affordability?
3: Well, I mean, I think it's a, that $11 million house is a pretty good place to start. I think it says a lot about what's wrong with uh, real estate and how we manage that in Vancouver. Uh, obviously, we don't know whether those uh, the current owners will get $11 million for that property, but it, it does speak to the, an overall problem where when we do add density or we upzone, uh, In the city, we do it for a limited amount of area. It's, you know, mostly right around uh, large arterial streets. And that's, if you're looking for rental housing or a condo, and for the most people, that's all that we can afford, you know, you're limited to these particular site. So I think the debate that is unfolding in 2022 to me is about how we add density to the city, how we upzone, because the current process where the city says, okay, we're going to take this area, we're going to allow a lot of higher development on it, but they don't actually zone it for that, and they don't actually specify any requirements for affordability that come out of it, and as a result, you have these big developers going in, it requires a rezoning, which means it has to go to council, the city then tries to negotiate community amenity contributions of which there might be some fraction of affordability baked in. But the end result is that it's so expensive to build housing because the underlying land costs are are so out of whack.
0: Right. And we actually heard uh, David Eby discuss talking about this the other last week on CKNW, the attorney general about this precise problem. And, and he was complaining about some of the, the red tape and the obstacles at the municipal level, to get zoning changes and to actually get stuff built. Do you think that's a problem? Like, do you think there needs to be more densification and we need municipalities to get on board with that?
3: Yeah, well, absolutely. But uh, how we do it is really the key question. So both from the perspective of needing more housing and more affordable housing, and from the perspective of needing housing that's closer to where people work and shop and access public services and other amenities. In other words, neighborhoods that are more walkable or bikeable or that are essentially more friendly in in a future that has to deal with climate change. uh, We need to add a, a lot more density. We need to do it all across the city, a really broad-based effort rather than just specific sites. So the candy Corridor is particularly hot because since the Olympics, that's been flagged for, uh, for higher density. But rather than just saying you know, we're going to permit this amount, uh, it's kind of left up to the developer to figure that out and apply to the city, and the city's trying to negotiate money out of it. But really, a lot of those gains go to the existing landowners. It's a huge windfall for whoever was sitting on that property in the first place. Uh, And it all works to the uh, expense of affordability. So we really need to sort of change the way we do the zoning process and make sure that as we're adding all of this new square footage and living area, that's all value that's created by these public decisions that we guarantee and lock in uh, measures of affordability, whether that's home ownership options or rental options.
0: Hey, Mark, let me get your take on a report that was issued from UBC about a week ago that got a lot of attention right across the country. And that is the report from researcher Paul Kershaw, who was my guest on the show last week about this report. It calls for an annual tax on homes valued at $1 million or more. So this would be a tax you'd have to pay every year if your home is worth over a million dollars, which would be, I guess, most of them. And You use that money to build affordable housing. Now that's, here's what he had to say about it last week. Then I'll get your thoughts. Paul Kershaw on last week's show.
3: That's yeah. like a large pot of gold. That isn't a nest egg. That is a wealth windfall. You know, if I'd accumulated that half a million dollars over 10, 15 years of work then great is my savings. But this is only yeah. this is happening in our housing system and we're tolerating it. And we are we're saying, oh, that housing that person whose nest egg now just grew and grew and grew and they're counting on it and that, that should be somehow not open for any further conversation.
0: Okay, Paul Kershaw from UBC last week making the case for a tax on million-dollar homes, use the money to build affordable housing. Mark Lee, do you agree with him?
3: Yeah, I agree with him. To be fully honest, I was part of the little subcommittee looking at tax reforms that Paul brought together for that particular project. So I was involved in all of the discussions that led to that recommendation. I think the core idea behind it is that we have this environment in Canada where it's very preferential to invest in real estate, um, not just real estate um, for your principal residence, which for all of the gains that you get, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions for, for some landowners, won't be subject to, to income tax. Um, but even in secondary properties, uh, it's the, under treatment of capital gains, only half of any gain gets, gets taxed. So compared to working for a living, uh, real estate... Makes a lot of sense. And so right now we're seeing a lot of investor sentiment in the, in the market. About a quarter of all the purchases nationwide are being made by investors. So people who are already a home but want a second or third or another one as a rental property. So if you're on the outside looking in, you're looking to buy a condo, you're competing with all of these well-heeled investors who are bidding on the same property for you and that's making the wall higher and higher for, for people. So having a tax on a higher end housing, it doesn't end up being very expensive until you get to, you know, over you know, $3 million properties, but it would raise a lot of money that we can build dedicated affordable housing that we genuinely
0: need. Okay, of course, though, you are going to get a hell of an argument over that from existing homeowners, people who say they've worked hard all their lives to buy a home. And yeah, now they've realized a lot of value as the property value has gone through the roof they're sitting on a lot of money, uh, they say, that's my retirement. This is something I'm leaving for my kids. So if you say, okay, the government's going to come along now and tax you on that every single year, man, oh man, are you ever going to tick people off? So let me play this here for you, Market your thoughts. So this is Sharon, who called the open line on this topic last week, and here's what she had to say, then I'll get your thoughts.
1: I'm absolutely furious that these people are saying it's now our responsibility to pay for other people so they can get into a home. We sacrifice we did without my husband worked 80 hours a week and i'm sorry but they just don't suck it up anymore and that's how i feel and i don't want any more taxes
0: okay suck it up okay suck it up if you can't afford a home go out and work 80 hours a week like her husband did and then maybe you can afford something what do you say to that
3: well, that's the, the the problem is that people aren't working uh, all year round to get that hundred thousand dollars. There's lots of homeowners in Vancouver that got a bump up uh, in the values of their homes when the assessments came in of a hundred thousand dollars or more. And I believe uh, Paul Kershaw was saying that his place went up five hundred thousand dollars in value over the last year so these are windfalls these are lottery winnings and people should pay tax on them and especially if they're paying tax on them leads to funding affordable housing for the next generation otherwise we're just we're stealing from our youth and we're we're preventing a whole generation from getting into the market only people who have rich parents will be able to afford housing if we don't start to deal with the situation
0: All right, welcome back to the show as we continue talking housing affordability. Mark Lee is my guest. Right to your phone calls here, Rhonda in Aldergrove. Hi, Rhonda, what do you think?
1: Hey, yeah, I think that we need to start changing our mindset that real estate is not investment, but that real estate is housing for people to live. And, um, you know, when he says a quarter of the uh, uh, purchases last year were for investors, um, you know, that takes away a lot of opportunity for young people and first-time buyers, and um, I think that if you were wanting to be an investor and make your money in real estate, there should be a significant, and by significant, I mean ten or twenty percent tax upfront that you pay, so that you're at least competitive with the first-time buyers.
0: Okay, Mark, what do you think of that? Oh, okay. So we don't we don't have Mark. Okay, but that's okay though. We got a ton of phone calls here. Thank you for thank you for that call. Uh, well, there's already. Uh, a property, uh, a capital gains tax. If you if you f- sell a property, right? If it's not your principal residence, you you still pay a hefty capital gains tax. Maybe the caller thinks it should be higher. David on the North Shore. Hey, David.
5: Hey, good morning. I just think this is unbelievable. I paid four thirteen for a house. I got it assessed last month or whatever it was at three point two. That's seventeen thousand a year that I have to pay. I'm retired. Where do I get that money from? And plus, I'm now over $3 million. I pay the school tax. Like, yeah. it just keeps going and going. And one thing I hope, this might sound bizarre, but I hope they bring this tax in. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Because that'll spell the end of Justin Trudeau, which is <laughs> what this country needs.
0: Okay. How much is your house worth, David? He's, okay, he's not there. Uh, okay. He says, bring, <laughs> he says, bring the tax in for a different reason. He thinks it would be political suicide for Trudeau. We got Mark Lee back. Mark, what do you think about that? I, I think he might be right. Like if, if the federal government ever brought in a, a, ca- a tax like this on homes, it'd be like doomsday for Trudeau. Your thoughts?
3: I mean, I don't think we're actually talking about a huge amount of taxes. The the tax rates that we proposed, like if you had a home value of like $1.5 million, and you may have already had hundreds of thousands of untaxed gains on that, the annual tax you'd be paying is $400. So relative mm-hmm. to the hundreds of thousands of, of dollars you've made in, in untaxed capital gains, Um, $400 doesn't seem like a lot, and it would be completely deferrable until the time you sell the house. So you don't want to sell it for 10 years then you, at the end of 10 years, you pay $4,000 out of the total gain that you've made. I don't think this is a huge uh, commitment. And it's, uh, it's uh, really important that we start funding genuinely affordable housing for people who need it. Otherwise, okay. uh, people are being forced out of the region. They're being forced into different places and very difficult situations. I mean, half of British Columbians are living paycheck to paycheck. So we okay. need to do something about the situation, not just benefit the, the nest eggs of people who have already done incredibly well.
0: Okay, let's squeeze in as many calls as we can here. Richard in Vancouver, go ahead. Yeah, I find this all really reprehensible, too.
5: And uh, it quotes me, uh, the old uh, expression, socialism only works till you run out of somebody else's money. Like me, and my, I'm 70 years old. I've I Like that lady that you played on the tape, I work really hard double shifts to pay off my house. And this thing... To impose this on primary residences, I, like I said, is reprehensible. To create because this problem wasn't created by me and my neighbors. This no. was created by money laundering, mm. foreign investment coming into our country. And if you really want to start controlling real estate and residential real estate, my home is my home. But how the much? fact is, people should number companies shouldn't be able to hold primary real, residential real
0: estate. In how much is how much is your house worth, Richard?
5: Well, I just got my assessment. Uh, it's now worth two million dollars, apparently, two, according okay. to the assessment. But here, here's another point. Yeah. The city of Vancouver imposed up-zoning densities on us. I went to all those public hearings. They literally crammed down RS1 neighborhoods in Vancouver, laneway houses, and they also increased the maximum FSR on the property. So the municipalities are actually forcing up land values as well. Oh. I, uh, uh, enforcing and imposing zoning changes on neighborhoods that don't want them
0: okay richard thanks for the call squeeze another one in bill in aldergrove bill you got 30 seconds go ahead
5: yeah it's just ridiculous and you know what if you want to, if you want to nail someone nail the foreign investors they don't live in half of these condos and houses not the poor guy my house went up eight hundred thousand dollars in two years i can hardly afford the property taxes on
3: it and we all know that this money will go into general revenue, and the whole mirage that this is going to go into affordable housing is a joke, and okay, Bill, everybody th- knows it.
0: Thanks for the call, man. Appreciate it. Okay, Mark, 30 seconds. How do you respond to
3: that? Yeah, I mean, I think we're talking about windfalls here. These are uh, The gains on these houses are not because of the work that the owners have done to maintain their houses. They're because they live in a great city. They're close to a, a good okay. neighborhood. They're close to parks. Uh, but we do need to cramp down on investor behavior, whether it's small scale folks buying second, third or fourth properties, all the way up to real estate investment. Thank tr- you, Mark. Places.